I do think zombies would make the worst rehab. I, I, I think that's just not a good way to do that. Like, what do you mean? Like, as... Like, 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 like as sponsors? Like, this is your new sponsor. Your new, <laughs> new Carl, sponsor. and Carl's just like, brains. Step one, brains. <laughs> yeah, God, zombies have a have a, a hard uh, relationship with addiction because there's there's no coming back from that sweet, sweet flesh. <laughs> the meat, the meat there's no 12-step the no program for yeah. the... Uh, for the zombie that's kind. What, that's what Ross about, right? They were powerless over brains, and their lives have become unmanageable. I mean, that's just what you got to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'd be hard. It would be, I mean. be. Or, you know, maybe 28 days later means something else. Um, and I guess we'll find it's, out. It's approximately one February later. One, fe- <laughs> one February, the, uh, depending on the year, but yeah. <laughs> we never do learn what month this takes place in. I like to think that it was February. That, <laughs> That's uh, an appropriate. I feel February like, 1st leap year. through 20, yeah, and a leap year. At that, I feel like yeah. it's like a hot zombie summer, though. I really do. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I feel like it has to be. Hot zombie summer <laughs> coming to you this fall on Netflix. <laughs> what could this... The, this what are we doing here your mic's slipping out of the oh slowly losing microphonage Uh, i guess i could say hello everybody welcome on the good trash genre cast we gather around table we discuss the films you'll never discuss in the film series course this week's this week's film is danny boyle's 28 days later which is not about rehab it is about zombies and no it's not it's about the infected not the zombies because some people really get their um panties in a bunch yeah we can talk about that yeah i don't care about your bunch of panties um i'm still dustin I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton, and this is still a zombie movie. It is 100%. You can call him whatever you want to call him. It, this, it, this is a zombie picture. I totally concur. It is not a zombie movie. You, what? <laughs> he did a little wink after okay, that. Okay, he gets like, get out of here. Yeah, you couldn't see it, but yeah, I could. I, get get out of little, your own He's house. a little trickster. Um, hey, man, what's the point of genres and uh, tropes if we can't stick to them? Okay, so uh, <laughs> this is the part where I talk about spoilers. We've already spoiled that there are zombies in 28 Days Later. Um, Infected. Yes, the, we've, we've spoiled that we're not talking about 28 Days. <laughs> we, and we're not, and talking, we're not about, talking about 28 Weeks Later. No. Nor, yeah, nor are we talking about that. We're uh, in a very specific time frame here. Which um, apparently there was a talked about tree, threequel. 28 qu- months later. 28 months yeah. later, which would have been fun. I would have liked to have seen that I would have seen another one. I would have. I mean, and then I, we can get the legacy sequel uh, 28 years later. Exactly. In <sighs> a couple decades. Yep. That, yep. That, that's got to happen. I mean, they can't do I mean, months we're still later standing now. It's as been a, too uh, long. Yeah, yeah. We're still standing as a side. Well, you'll never see another new movie. What you'll never see it so read another was, new book. Was this 2000... Two. 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 So yes. that'd be 2030? Yeah, 2030. There you go. That's eight years away. Yeah. Wow. We can make it happen, guys. Yeah. We can make it. We Let's write the script we, we, right we, now. We can start the... Uh, yeah, the... Killian has an age today over 28 days later. No, he's he has still looking not. great. Yeah, he would Naomi be... Harris looking good, too. He talked about being willing to come back for... Uh, Brendan Gleeson's the, the obviously three, could the come back, but... Oh, spoiler did he, alert. Did, did Murphy <laughs> talk about... Mm-hmm. Being in a third movie, if they he, made one, he did. That's him, cool. him and Naomi Harris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were. So yeah. They, they, they both, both said talked, they'd yeah. be in it. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, so, um, I think that sequel's good. So, in order to discuss spoilers, though, we will spoil that there are zombies, but we will not spoil anything else. We will uh, try to avoid that for the first part of the show. If you have not seen this film from 2002, 20 years ago, but um, for whatever reason, if you don't know the ending or endings of, I this remember film, that there were endings. Um, to there, this film. there are endings. Uh, the version I watched had an endings, like a what if ending after the credits. Uh, we'll talk more about that later, but we're not going to spoil that at the first part of the show. What we'll do is we'll be very, very spoiler gentle insofar as we'll give thumbs up, thumbs down reviews after a synopsis in which we will probably say that we like or dislike this zombie slash not zombie movie. And we'll spoil the much that it is. You mean if after the post freeze frame ending? No. There's some alternate endings on this. There's yeah. like a, there's like a what if ending. Like it goes differently. Yeah, it was on the DVD. There's also like a storyboards only ending. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's yeah. a handful that's of real. endings. Well, no. the, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what is real? We can quibble canons <laughs> anon. Is this a real life? Is this just fantasy? I don't know. Um, I'm caught on a landslide of not knowing what to say next. Oh, I know what to say I next. We're going to talk about uh, expanding the syllabus after that, which will be more spoiler gentle. There'll Perhaps be spoilers there, maybe. Talking about... The ilk of the zombie genre, which, uh, again, this movie may follow some of those tropes. And so 
depending on what kind of syllabus we put together, we might gently spoil some parts of this film or films in its orbit, and then we'll get all the way down to business, and that business will be analysis, and that's when it's all over, and we'll tell we'll, we'll, who lives, who dies, and how they live, and how they die. And who tells their story. Who? <laughs> okay, yeah, thanks, Hamilton. <laughs> I, but to be fair, you could very well listen to that conversation and remain unspoiled. It's not like we're going to give you a rundown of the whole plot of the movie. We're just not going to be careful about what happens either. yes we're not we're, we're no longer avoiding that yes and, and so if that's something you care about watch 28 days later and then pick it up there at the last third of the show so you've been warned dear listener with that we'll begin with our synopsis and uh, arthur has prepared that and will delight us now i hope jim wakes up in a <laughs> hospital he is alone naked confused as he exits the hospital he finds himself in a deserted london and soon being hunted by rage-crazed people out for blood. One of my favorite things that Arthur does is he'll really let that pause hang after you throw to him to make you wonder if he actually did do a synopsis. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he likes it, yeah. That's a good one, though. Thank you. Uh, Jim, Jim, Jim is naked and afraid. Yes. Like those people on the Discovery <laughs> Channel. Confused. Yeah, <laughs> like those Discovery Channel folks. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, this movie does like Jim's butt. And it all it liked. <laughs> well, it only likes that for the first little second there, and then we, we're we're sort of done with the male. He's, he's a cutie. He's a cutie. He's an adorable boy. He's a sweet Irish hunk of man. Yep. Um, okay. Always after his lucky charms. Let me tell you that. <laughs> well, we've all seen the movie before, correct? Yes. Oh yeah, all yeah, right. a couple times. So with that, I go to you first, Arthur. What are your general impressions of the goodness or badness of that which is Twenty Eight Days Later? Generally, I am impressed by this movie. I, uh, I I do think it's super solid. Uh, very good. I, I think it's just very good. It's uh, it's approach to I think zombies. There's there's uh, it, it surprisingly has a lot of I guess heart and hope uh, in, in ways. I think that uh, there's just a the the emotional bonds I think that form in this movie compared to most zombie films I think uh, are are so. Uh, powerful and enthralling. Specifically, I think the stuff that Brendan Gleeson's doing, the way that Killian uh, engages with uh, this this trio that he finds, or that that find him, I guess, and they form a trio. This kind of constant return to the formed family, the found family, uh, that's being assembled in multiple takes throughout uh, the the narrative here that that plays out. I, I think there's just a, a lot uh, of well-earned emotional depth and resonance uh, with that. I, I think it, it looks uh, shot composition, cinematography, I think all that stuff. Uh, the camera's doing some really fun stuff, I think. Uh, where it's being placed, some of the edit transitions. Uh, some cool handheld stuff. Yeah, uh, all that stuff was working really well. I, I think there's just something maybe a bit impressionistic about the, the way it's shot uh, in that way. Um uh, the rawness, I think, works very well for it. Um, everybody's great. Naomi Harris, Brendan Gleeson, love, love. I mean, that he's he's probably steals the show. I think Chris Eccleston uh, is a lot of fun. I, I don't think he gets to do much outside of kind of what his archetype allows him to do, uh, and those sorts of characters that we meet in the third act or kind of in the back half of the second act, I guess, are are probably the most two-dimensional you know but i think uh, for what purpose that they are there and for what they serve uh i think they work well in being led i think by chris eccleston here uh is, is very good i think he's uh very good doing what he needs to do in this movie mm. without really giving away what he's doing in this movie if you haven't seen it um I, th I think you know the cool stuff you know the the cool shots of them on the the empty empty roads where you know they they were able to shut down stretches for just a little while to be able to capture like a full minute uh to make those things work uh this very kind of lived in abandoned post-apocalyptic london britain uh they head up to manchester uh, and all of it looks really good. Uh, I think it's solid. I think it's just a solid movie. I, I think the rage zombies, uh, you know, the the fast zombie, slow zombie. I think both of them work depending on the context. Sure. And I think that that works here. Uh, some great images. Dustin and I talked about it uh, the other day. But that image, uh, that sort of uh, 
perversion of the church of, of the of both the congregation and the priest is so effective. Totally. Uh, and, and there's just effective visuals throughout this movie yeah, that, that make it so haunting, I think. That the end is extremely fucking nigh, that you sort of slowly mm-hmm. get more yeah. and more of as it fills up the frame. Yeah, yeah that, uh, that whole sequence of the church is great. There's some, just some great images, yeah. I think. And, you know, I think a lot of uh, some of the imagery from Children of Men as well. And mm-hmm. there's just something about being able to move so easily from the suburban to the country of, of England uh, that lends itself, I think to this sort of movie and the sort of post apocalyptic movie. Also the fact that it is a small Island uh, in comparison to something like America where there's just so much more going on. I think playing with those ideas as well and the very British nature of, of uh, what's his name? Danny Boyle's movies. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I, it's a good movie. I, I don't just want for me. It's a great horror movie. It's a great movie. It's effective. It's action packed. I think it's paced well because uh, it is a little closer. I think to hour forty five to two, and, and I think it just it glides very well. I think that last uh, forty minutes or so uh, moves very effectively once they reach uh, the uh, kind of final destination there. And so I, I dig it. I think it's good. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you should see it. I mean, it, it, it's important for nothing else, uh, if, if it didn't relaunch the, uh, zombie genre. So that, that's where I'm at with it. Very good. Very good. Thank you very much for that. Mr. Arthur Gordon, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What say you concerning 28 days later? Yeah, I'm a big fan of this movie. Uh, I had rewatched it. No, almost 10 years ago now, like 2013, 2014, somewhere in there. And, and I didn't quite click with it. I looked back at my letterbox review and I, I was a little, I gave it three and a half stars and I was kind of uh glib or you know whatever about its reputation kind of felt like oh maybe maybe this isn't quite as good as i thought it was but on this watch i was really drawn back into this movie i'm starting to really come around on this as a modern horror classic i I think there's really effective filmmaking here arthur you talked a little bit about sort of there's almost an impressionistic quality to the film and i think that's that's really well spotted because there's something about that like prosumer digital photography right that like almost exactly commercial grade for that era yeah i mean it looks very homemade i mean yeah yeah for lack of a better term yeah there's i saw somebody talk about the the buzzwords like immediacy they got thrown around Mm -hmm. and after the release of this film and that's it's funny they that uh review on letterbox that i saw that said that um mentioned that as an empty buzzword because i i specifically remember that being the the word thrown around to describe a lot of this prosumer digital technology, uh, you know these these early digital films that are using commercial grade cameras, um, but there is something, as you say, homemade about it. Um, it's Matt Lynch is a good follow on Letterboxes who uh, specifically cited that out by the way. But um, th- there's something lived in like you say it uh you know it takes the production design of this abandoned london and only makes it feel more real through just that that this is what you know would have captured an abandoned london on film at at that era is this type of digital um and and again like while it brings you there and kind of may really i think helps situate you in the the place of the protagonists i think there's also something very dreamlike about it at the same time there's something unreal about that that kind of digital grain mm-hmm. you know there, there's yeah. something unnerving about it I, I think specifically there's a scene after they go to the grocery store uh and they're you know they're driving to the radio signal um and they drive past a field of flowers the flowers look like a watercolor almost because of the the way they're being captured it's it's really an interesting shot um but again i think this whole movie is, is really great looking and um just propulsive i mean that first act is just full of cool chase scenes or or you know haunting uh photography of, of this abandoned london uh, it's just a really great opening and even the the stuff in the laboratory i think is really effective uh i do you know worry about the ethics of the the use of the chimps you know uh, in a post me watching nope world it's hard not to for me mm-hmm. to think about the, the ethics of primates on film uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that stuff's really effective as much as I, I, you know, I'm sad that those, those chimps probably, uh, have weird lives. All, every, every chimp in this movie, uh, probably still alive. Those, those little, yeah, those little live bastards a live a while. So I don't know. Uh, good luck to them. I hope they're doing fine. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, the, the animal ethics stuff aside, I, I just was really into this movie. I like every character. You mentioned Frank Arthur and I, 
Brendan Gleeson might be giving one of my favorite horror movie performances of all time in this. And not and and really not even just favorite horror performance, but like maybe one of my favorite characters. Like it's definitely my favorite Brendan Gleeson performance, I think. And, and, you know, I'm counting stuff like in Bruges and Calvary. I just Mm -hmm. I love him here as Frank. I think there's something so interesting and kind of quiet and and. realistic about him as a dad who is yeah. like tell knows he's out of his depth but is trying to keep his cool because he knows like he's he ha- he has to be the one that keeps his cool yeah. everybody's kind of relying on him to be the mellow one and uh, i think he just makes that work so effectively i think naomi, naomi harris is great in here too I, mm-hmm. I love selena as a character i think she's got a really interesting arc uh that's you know uh, ends up servicing uh killian murphy's arc a little bit uh, at the end, so there's problems. I think the whole third act here is really where you're, you, the rubber meets the road. You're either going to really like this movie or you're really not like this movie based on the third act. Um, I don't, I think that's what holds me back from going any higher than four stars on this. I really like this movie, but uh, I think that third act's kind of a problem. I don't I don't think that it does or says anything particularly interesting there. I, I get what it's getting at, and I, I think, I'm sure we'll get into that when we get into spoilers and analysis. We'll, we'll kind of talk about what they're the ideas they're working with there. Um, but the sort of, I don't know, inherent misogyny of that third act is a, a bummer to, to watch. Uh, and it's not the most elegantly woven into the film. Uh, and again, it feels like it's borrowing from better executed ideas in things like uh, day of the dead. Mm. Uh, that third for me anyway, that's, that's kind of how I feel about the third act. But otherwise I think the movie is top to bottom. Great. I think the score in the third act is incredible in a house uh in the house in a heartbeat uh the the bit of scoring from uh was it um john murphy uh holy crap i mean that's you'll you hear that as temp scoring and like trailers for other stuff like it's such a good piece of music and i think it really really works in that third act so as much as i'm kind of dubious about aspects of the third act i think it's got some really compelling like action photography and uh you know really compelling scoring again just really well made throughout i think uh it's it's fun that alex garland has moved on to have his own directorial career mm-hmm. but uh the times that him and boyle work together this and sunshine i think are just like really standout films um yeah if you haven't as arthur said if you haven't gotten to 28 days later yet for whatever reason i would make that a priority i think it's probably one of the best zombie movies directed by somebody not not named George Romero. Mm-hmm. I think it is probably, I, God, it might be the best one directed by somebody not called George Romero, now that I think about it. Dustin, what about you? Where are you at on 28 Days Later? Well, I will say this. I don't know that it is, you know, the best. You know, the, the Romero movies are perhaps better, um, but this is scarier than anything Romero's ever put out. Interesting. I think 28 Weeks Later is scarier, but we'll talk about that later. Okay. Maybe. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, I guess, but it's more of the same. And so... I, there's I, something I, bleaker about this. This movie is kind of... Arthur kind of talked about this a little bit, but there's something kind of tender about this movie. Like well, it, that's that's the needle it threads. Um, yeah. Sometimes the scary movie is a movie that actively hates its audience. I'm looking at the Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. Massacre, which I still find to be a pretty scary movie. Uh, and it, it is a, a cruel vindictive sadistic film uh, in terms of the, the way- evil dead remake the evil dead remake yes yeah. mean hates spirited you. and hates you mm-hmm. right uh and and there there's there are definitely movies that do that and that that are quite scary this movie is super scary and yet it does as arthur was saying just a few minutes ago has heart mm-hmm. and uh, to be able to modulate between that tension and release between that humanizing and terrifying sort of register as a film it's it's brilliant uh for being able to do this it is one of the scariest movies i've ever seen uh, i i still say one of the scariest movies i've ever seen uh that uh i will simply just say that tunnel sequence ties me in knots every single time it's really good i watched the movie a second time with the 15 year old the 15 year old was also tied in knots and gave a extremely loud let's go um towards the end of it love it uh, and uh which will make sense if you know and if you don't know it won't spoil anything and that's the kind of reaction you want to have and that's immediately followed by a shopping sequence that is the pacing there is really spectacular yeah, uh, yeah. you know it, it really works which is followed then by a gas station sequence for those who know one who, of the most haunting things ever in a movie right uh, the, the, i mean again you think about the back to back to back of those three moments yeah, and you go this is a director who knows what he is about so that's what i was thinking about the beginning of the movie right there's mm-hmm. the the hospital the church the meeting of selena and 
Mike? Mark. 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 Meeting Selena and Mark, then going to... Um, uh, parents. Yeah, I was trying to think Killian Murphy's character's name, mm. but his parents. Jim. 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 Jim's parents' house. Yeah, it's just, yeah, as you say, it's just like the the way set pieces, not even just set pieces, but like small Narrative moments. Narrative beats, yeah. Narrative beats are, yeah, strung together just so competently. It's great. Yeah. You love, you'd love to see a movie be made well. <laughs> yeah, and, and it is. It absolutely is made well. Uh, we've, we've already talked about the look and the performances and the music, and that all works for me. Uh, but yeah, it is a absolutely haunting, terrifying film, and but not terrifying in the way that, again, the remake of The Evil Dead or the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is. Uh, it's, it's a movie that you would watch again immediately after having experienced it. it, it it's terrifying, and yet again, that, that heart that it has somehow makes it work on a, on a, uh, it's playing at another level, uh, compared to those films in my mind. Uh, if I had a top 100 list to do over again, I think this movie would be in it. Yeah. You think this, this cracks, there's a a world where this crawls in the top 100 for you. If I'd seen it more recently. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is, this is not top 100 for me, but it's definitely in contention with, uh, some films that I like quite quite a bit, yeah. So I I really want to rewatch Twenty Eight Weeks Later now, though. Yeah, uh, a movie that I remember is like way bleaker uh, and like as memory serves. Yes, yeah. Uh, there's that the beginning of that movie really messes me up. I mm. think that pound for pound, like, is as horrifying as anything in this this mm-hmm. first film. Yeah, I think that opening of the second film is like way out there for yeah. me. It just like puts me on edge just thinking about it, thinking of that that. Uh, uh, actor running across that big green field. Uh, just the lushness of that opening in the second film uh, as he's got this crowd of infected following him, like running after him. Mm-hmm. He's got a, just a dead sprint across, nowhere to hide. Yeah, man. Just yeah. really good stuff. That is very scary. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. So, uh, yes, uh, dear listener, our thoughts are generally positive regarding 28 Days Later. We like it a bit. We're going to move on to the part of the show we like to call Expanding the Syllabus. Dalton, can you explain what Expanding the Syllabus is all about? I sure can, Dustin. This is the part of the show where we deliver on our promise. We're going to talk about the films you would never discuss in a film studies course. Uh, and we're going to talk about them in a film studies course type way. That said, it's Shocktober. We like to break the rules during our marathons. You might actually talk about 28 Days Later in a film you studies would, course. You would, I think. Yeah, it's it's a pretty seminal film uh, in, in a couple of different genres, in a couple of, you know, in national cinemas. It's it's sort of a big film. So, ooh, yeah, maybe we're cheating on our premise a little bit, but uh, hey, what are you going to do? It's our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, now we are going to talk to you about how we would talk about 28 Days Later in a, in a class, in an academic setting. How would we... Uh, weave it into a class. What other films or uh, topics will we bring in conjunction with it? Uh, who's going first? You are. You're going to tell me how you did your weaving. I want to see how this movie is woven. I've woven it into a uh, a unit in a larger class. We're going to just do a unit on Danny Boyle in a British auteurs class. Nice. Probably, probably like a 1,000 level like intro to film class because, you know, auteur theory is pretty baby just shit. Just one shade above film appreciation. Exactly. Yeah, got yeah. you. But just like, hey, hey, here's British cinema and let's talk about some of those cats. We you know, so you got to talk about Hitch, obviously, even though he's got a foot in the U.S. cinema. And a lot of these directors have a foot in U.S. cinema. Danny Boyle definitely does as well. You know, he's he's worked a lot in uh, in Hollywood uh, following his breakouts in the U.K. Um, but uh, that's that's sort of an interesting thing you get to talk about with Brit cinema is the the the, the correspondence between U.S. and British cinema that uh, has existed. And, I mean, and, and British and U.S. culture for, you know, hundred years hundreds of years now uh, but anyway with steve mcqueen edgar wright uh you know sort of contemporaries of danny boyle or at least guys around his generation talk about them uh, of course we talk about uh ridley scott and tony scott uh the 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 the, the, the brothers the brothers we love uh we got to talk about them and their their forays into u.s and british cinema as well I think we got to talk about the Python guys, Terry Jones, uh, director of all those Python movies, but then of course Terry Gilliam, who uh, pivots away from Python, and you know, again another guy that most people think of as a U.S. filmmaker, I think, uh, but I, I think useful to talk about. Uh, Pal, Michael Pal, mm-hmm. both as far as his work with Pressburger on the Red Shoes, but you know stuff that he did on his own, like Peeping Tom. We look at his work, uh, and David Lean, you know, kind of a big name in British cinema, one maybe one of the biggest names, and again another guy that worked a lot in Hollywood. Um, I also want to talk about John Schlesinger, maybe just because I like Marathon Man a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, another guy. And that's that's the thing. As you start talking about all these filmmakers, most of the most successful British filmmakers do end up doing some work in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is just sort of uh, what ends up happening on these career trajectories. Uh, but we look at all of those. Uh, we'll probably do a little bit of talk about uh, 
how there's so few uh, female British uh, filmmakers. Couldn't really find any, or mm. if in my my brief research for uh, this class, so. Uh, I couldn't think of anybody at the top of my head. All the female filmmakers I could think of were uh, either U.S. or elsewhere. Couldn't think of any uh, U.K. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, there's some heavy hitters in uh, Australia, New Zealand, um, and Canada. Uh, but, you know, for whatever reason, uh, U.K. Uh, female filmmakers, I was just absolutely... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know there are some. I, just, I know. I, I couldn't think of anybody in none of the lists. I was, all the lists I was pulling were very male-centric, obviously, because right. that's what happens when you go looking for lists, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are some of the filmmakers we talk about. When we focus on Danny Boyle, though, I think we look at this film and train spotting, you know, kind of his two breakout uh, British films. Uh, and then Millions, again, I think is really interesting. This is post The Beach, which is a U.S. film for him, but Millions mm-hmm. going back to U.K. cinema. Uh, it's a film I haven't seen, but I think is just I'm interested in the premise of millions. It's about a kid that finds a bunch of pounds during the switchover from pounds to the euro. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, and then we look at his uh, his big Hollywood, uh, you know, um, awards winner, Slumdog Millionaire, which is a film I've only seen the one time in theaters that I don't think I would like much on rewatch. Yeah, but I, you know, I think we got to talk about it. It's uh, very okay. And then 127 Hours and Steve Jobs, kind of continuing the. Danny Boyle trying to get Oscars phase of his career. <laughs> we can also talk about Trance, which is kind of a weird one-off in there. Mm, the sort of mm. neo-noir film of his. Have you guys seen this film? I think I have, yeah. McAvoy and Rosario Dawson. Mm-hmm. Weird movie. Uh, I saw it in theaters, and I remember liking it quite a bit, but uh, it's definitely kind of a one-off for him in a, that run of his career. Strange, yeah. Yeah, but again, I think we'd, we'd talk about 28 Days Later in, in talking about Danny Boyle, and uh, that'd be a unit in the classes. Let's look at Boyle. Uh, and then again, alongside Boyle, like Wright and Steve McQueen, probably. I think those are the two filmmakers I'd like to pair with him. Um, Arthur, what about you? What kind of class would you be teaching on uh, 28 Days Later? I think that I would probably do um, British horror is where yeah, I would okay. go with this. Uh, I think it'd be part of a world horror class, which would be fun, uh, and that I will continue, uh, I think, next week as well. Um, but if we're talking about... Uh, British horror, uh, obviously, we've got to talk about Hammer uh, and their impact uh, totally. on the genre, kind of in that post-universal uh, cycle and the way things mm-hmm. kind of died down with horror. Uh, Hammer sort of, I think, reinvigorated uh, the genre and re-kick-started a bunch of those cycles, specifically the Dracula cycle. Uh, but I think for this class, uh, we would probably look at uh, maybe some some hammer pairings, some old and new kind of stuff. Mm, uh, kind I of like it. look at the evolution of that, uh, and then just some uh, horror in general as well. Um, so I think uh, from the Hammer School, we would look at the Devil Rides Out, which kind of a uh, spooky house demon type film, uh, and we'd pair that with the m- more modern uh, The Woman in Black, starring Daniel Radcliffe, nice. which is a kind of was. A, a bit of a relaunch moment for Hammer right. as a, a studio. Though uh, not much came of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that movie sort of fizzled, I think, in, in ways. It did get a sequel, I believe, maybe straight mm-hmm. to video. I can't mm-hmm. remember, but it did get a sequel. Um, but kind of looking at the tradition of the ghost story and haunted houses uh, in, in Britain. Uh, from there, we'd look at Hammer's The Plague of Zombies, uh, which has some uh, imagery, I think, inspiring some future zombie movies. And obviously, I think pairing that with 28 Days Later or to see the kind of British evolution of the zombie uh, within the island there. Obviously, I think outside of Hammer, we want to talk a bit about folk horror. Uh, so we'd look at The Wicker Man, mm-hmm. obviously, from 73. Uh, the classic there, not the Nick Cage one. Uh, and then we'd pair <laughs> that with the more modern uh, 2013 Ben Wheatley's A Field in England. Mm. Uh, another kind of slow folk horror there. Uh, period piece, but modernized. Uh, in its time of, of production. I haven't seen that one. I like other Ben Wheatley movies, though. Yeah, uh, that's probably one of his most well, I think, loved uh, works, uh, at least in the kind of cult film status. I, I think from there, uh, just a couple of final picks and kind of modern uh, horror uh, choices. Uh, we'd look at 2020s, 2021's Host, mm. the kind of response to isolation found footage uh, zoom uh, meeting movie uh, about uh, spoopy things happening on a zoom call uh, after a seance goes horribly awry uh, which is a, a fun little effective short tight hour-long horror feature mm. uh, it's an easy watch it's quick uh, and it's really enjoyable uh, and then finally I think we would end with Saint Maud uh, here as the final uh, pick, uh, which is a very cerebral, 
very psychological in the kind of vein of a 24 horror uh, stylings that is kind of effective uh, with a, with a character whose intentions and motivations and mental state aren't quite known until really the end of the film. So it kind of keeps you guessing in that regard. And also just kind of the very religious imagery I think is very uh, interesting to kind of chew on and digest and and think about and pick apart. And so uh, that's what we'd kind of look at. We'd kind of travel back uh, through time, looking at hammer horror, just kind of the tradition of horror in um, Britain, as well as some of the cult horror stuff that's taking place there and just tracing that through to the modern day. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. Uh, I think I would use this movie. I, I, I want to teach a class on zombies. I want a zombie class. That is the whole class. That's fair enough. And, yeah, you there's know, a lot what? to talk about. You know what? I'm just not going to play around, and I'm just going to go. We're just going to go hard into the various ways in which the zombie uh, genre has proved itself durable uh, throughout uh, cinema. And I think, in specifics, I would talk about the the sense in which there is this societal breakdown, the way in which 28 Days seems to really uh, uh, meditate on those ideas. There's long sort of speeches about there's always a government there in a plane somewhere, whereas everybody, uh, the idea of you know using the church there, the fallen Big, Big Ben, uh, mm-hmm. trinkets that are there, the, the army gone bad uh, bit that's also connected to this. And so I, I think that sort of institutional reading of this film would uh, parallel alongside. Now, if I were doing this course, I think we'd be watching the first two seasons of the walking dead mm-hmm. AMC series throughout. And so we'll, that'll be part of the conversation. And of course we'll have already watched some of the Romero zombies, but in the module, when we're thinking about this, uh, we would uh, definitely spend a lot of time with Dawn of the dead alongside this. And we would spend a lot of time with probably that season opener, um, the first uh, uh, series opener, that first episode, Days Gone By, mm. of The Walking Dead going back to that and Rick waking up in the middle of hell and sort of that idea of where is everything and where is everybody and, and uh, the discussions he has um, with that, that, that first uh, man and his son that he meets uh, in that town. And so that would be a lot of the conversation. And then in terms of reading, there'd be, there'd be several things that we'd read in this, book, uh, in this uh, class. I would assign... <sighs> I would assign the book I wrote an essay in, but I would not require my essay ever because I am not that guy. Yeah, uh, but my, my colleagues wrote some really good essays yeah. in The Walking Dead Live, exclamation point, which looks like The Walking Dead Live, like it's a sketch show. <laughs> it's really, really <laughs> bad uh, <laughs> titling there. Um, the Walking Dead Live. But I, I think we'd be reading Brad Durham's essay about, uh, it's called Zombies Are Us, which is about consumerism in the 21st century and how the zombie film sort of uh, parallels with that. I'd also have them read Heidi Crawford's, uh, not, uh, I lied, I'm sorry, Mary Finley's essay about leadership. And then finally, uh, collaborator and friend, Abby Graves in real life, uh, her little thing on uh, hegemonic masculinity uh, and the uh, type of leadership that you see with Rick Grimes in there. And I I think a lot of that would play into what's being critiqued and criticized here. Uh, Another film that we might look at a little bit in part by this point in the class is if we had not already assigned Shaun of the Dead, we would probably at least look at the the initial sort of montage sequence of people working and going about their lives Mm -hmm. before there are zombies and how similar that is to zombies and uh, just make sure that we say the loud part uh, the quiet part loud mm, in that case sure. and so that would be kind of the way i would begin tackling that but uh really truly i would probably have a full out course on that uh there would be an entire module on gothicism and the zombies there would be an entire thing about origin stories uh, we definitely would have to talk about race at some point with that as well and then um, the theological component would be uh, another module uh that is touched upon in 28 Days Later, but it's definitely less of a meditation point uh, for this film, I think, than it is for us. Although, I keep thinking about that long use of a hymn as uh, Jim's traveling to go see his, uh, find his parents, mm. and, uh, you know, much more so than I think about just the church scene. The church scene is sort of, it is just a post-apocalyptic scene uh, for the most part. I don't think it carries a lot of theological freight. I mean, there's a little bit there with the positioning of the cross and the frame, but Aside from that, um, and the one character that's recognized will be in a priest, I don't know that that's doing as much as the work of 
that that uh, old Anglican hymn that's being sung uh, while they're making this sort of mournful trip. But it's more about trauma and grief at that point, even then, than theology proper. So, but those are my thoughts uh, regarding uh, 28 Days Later in a class, because I need to teach zombies. I really just need to teach zombies. I just need to make that happen. Well, so, there's some there there, you there, know? Yeah. So with that, dear friends, uh, your syllabus just got longer, and I believe now we get down to business. Yes. That's right, dear listener, and that business is, as always, analysis. And that analysis means spoilers, so we are all off on our bets on spoilers. But before we even get into that, let's talk about how this movie looks. Because that was some of the initial feedback that was going through the group chat. The and, early digital filmmaking, yeah. Yes, and what uh, what use does it have, and does it uh, how does it uh, contribute to or detract from the uh, general affect of the film? Go. I think Dalton kind of spoke to it. It gives it both this uh, very homemade, kind of not quite found footage, right? Because we're not in that point of view. But it does kind of have a similar, somebody grabbed a camera out of their house and made this. Uh, but also in the way it's sort of washed out and some of the uh, saturation uh playing and degradation and things like that gives it a, a very ethereal feel as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think it does help set the tone for what you're experiencing in this kind of dreamlike fugue state uh, that's taking place as you're following Jim, who is very much in this state of what is going on. Cause he's been in this hospital for a month. Yeah. Yeah. After this accident that he's had and it just walks out and, and nothing is, is, I mean, of, of of the things in this film might be the scariest idea. Yeah. To just wake up and walk mm-hmm. outside and nothing. Right. I think that is the, the, the kind of totality of that is, is so uh, intimidating and frightening. And I think that kind of ethereal nature, that kind of dreamlike sense that the, the camera provides uh, really does underscore thematically what's taking place within the psychology of, of Jim. I don't know. Yeah. There's something inherently surreal about that prosumer video to me. I, I don't know what it is. And maybe it's, it's just because it is so much stamp something of, of, as of a time, you know, just di- digital photography doesn't look that way anymore. It looks a lot closer to, to film photography. Mm-hmm. It, they just, they, the, the, the image and apparatus of, have, improved so much in the last 20 years that it really is a you know the the those the alexa reds are just like such a different camera than than that stuff that they were working with in the early aughts Mm -hmm. um but yeah maybe it is just because it it does so much market as being a a product of the early 21st century but like it it just i don't know there's something about it yeah like you say it's streamlike and it it does give you this sense of of grounding, though. Uh, I'm going to read something from that Matt Lynch write up off Letterbox that I referenced earlier because I think I just want to see what you guys think about it. Um, do 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 do. This is how we close the, this write up after getting past their their hangups with the uh, the third act. Uh, Boyle's main contribution is the prosumer video, the intrinsic beauty of which he frankly doesn't manage to fully exploit in the way that say man does in something like Public Enemies. This looks like a wobbly, interlaced mess, a relic of a time of empty buzzwords like immediacy. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I haven't seen Public Enemies in a long time, to be fair. I haven't seen it. Uh, no. I, had some, I, you know, I didn't like that movie when I saw it in theaters, but I also like Michael Mann a lot more than I did in 20, or 2009. I like him a lot more I mean, now. So. I don't think I buy it either, because I, I do think immediacy is exactly the sense that you get I, it, from It that. is buzzwordy. I get, I get uh, yeah. the reluctance to like the want to distance from that word because mm-hmm. it was the word people used to describe things like 28 days later like children of men, children of men it, it yeah. was anything that evoked 9-11 in the first five years after 9-11 had that but immediacy this particular title. video choice it does feel like i mean there are times when we see surveillance footage but it feels in a sense still like it's surveillance footage but it's edited in a again sort of a dreamlike hallucinatory sort of style mm-hmm. and i think this is a juxtaposition between those two things that you have again a, a an editing style that is fugue that is terrifying uh, alongside something like a surveillance style 
um, apparatuses in terms of just taking the photographs uh, that compose the film. And that juxtaposition really makes your brain um, engage in the film, I think, in a different kind of way than if it were only one or the other. Yeah, I mean, there's the there's such a mix of like kind of uh, surveillancey wide shots, right? I think mm-hmm. specifically of Selena, Mark, and uh, Jim walking down this empty uh, public transit track, and the the shot is kind of way, way, way back. Um, but you know, as often as we get that, we get you know a handheld shot running alongside our protagonists as they're running from the infected. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that mixture of, as you say, like sort of surveillancey uh, type stuff, but also almost found footagey or documentary, right? You know, Gonzo like journalism nightmare, stuff. You yeah. know, is one example. It's eighteen millimeter, and then the end of the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. or I said eighteen, sixteen millimeter is that flashback, right? Right. Well, I don't. I think, I think it's, it's sixteen. There's eight, maybe. Uh, it's it's real film though, yeah. Uh, and uh, the end of the movie is thirty five millimeter, mm-hmm. which I think kind of gives it that. Did is this really the is this the happy ending or is this the afterlife? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the sort of the image of the hello that just says hell mm-hmm. as we first get him waking up in the countryside home. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah, I don't know. It's sort of interesting, but uh, that you're right. The, that change over to a different filmmaking format really does allow the film to kind of go out right. on a high note. Uh, well, even there at the beginning, I'm just thinking about losing the primates and the way mm. the editing of the attacks yeah. play through when they're, when they're done digitally there, mm. even then that's not the way surveillance fil- footage would look, but it's as though you are point of view surveillance footage. You, the mm. viewer are the point of view surveiller mm-hmm. of the events. And again, that is, that gives an affect of immediacy. I mean, I, I hate, again, the buzzword, you know, be buzzy or not. I don't know a better word than that. Yeah, a concrete is a word that I went with mm-hmm. when I was trying to think of like what it gives me. And it, there's something like really tactile about it. But again, there is that impressionistic, almost surreal, otherworldly, you know, because it does feel so, you know, the the the, the blacks are kind of crushed and don't look quite right. Mm-hmm. There is almost you can almost see where the pixels meet. Like there's there's that digital grain that's not quite the same as film grain. It's just I don't know. There's something special about it. I'm glad you decided that you wanted to start with the look of the film because I think it it really does add a lot. It does. Um, do you guys make anything of? And you don't have to have any comment on this at all. But there is a there's a moment where um, they're making the trip after they've decided they've they've met Brendan Gleeson and uh, the daughter. So Frank and Hannah are now part of our our little uh, fellowship of the ring here, mm-hmm. and they've already gone through. Uh, the tunnel, they've already gone... Th- well, they've gone through all the things, uh, the, the three things that we talked about earlier. So the tunnel they've done, the grocery store they've done, the gas station they've done, and then there's this long shot uh, of a flower field. Yeah, I've referenced it earlier. It almost looks like a watercolor, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I'm not sure how that was achieved or what the... I don't know if it's like the distance at which the camera was from the field or I, what. I, I, yeah. I, I think about... I have, uh, I have no about. interpretation yeah. whatsoever, Yeah, but I think about it all the time. I, that's why I brought it up yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of the moments of the film that made me think words like impressionistic mm-hmm. like it's just like what is happening here what yeah. are we doing why are these flowers look this it, way i don't it know if that's like awesome. a moment of photogenic or I, I don't know what that is but like ah there's something that happens there's something yeah. eruptive there and you could it almost if if it wasn't for the car going by in the the far foreground mm-hmm. you would almost look like a painting yeah mm-hmm. and then you see the car and you're like wait a second i'm not looking at a painting what is happening yeah mm-hmm. it's just one moment but it's just it really does do a lot for that sequence of the film yeah i like i said i got nothing else on that i, I, also, I mean oh, go ahead well i was gonna say emotionally it's it, it's the final moment of bliss right i mean everything is, i mean that's it's picture perfect well i was gonna say because I mean, one of the next a, things yeah, they see is, is they, manchester on fire yeah, yeah. right and that yeah. that and is they kind arrive of at their kind of they, frank's they, final place yeah and, well they, they they do camp at the uh the ruins there before that don't they is that before or after it, the flowers i think it's I thought it was I, around the same time. It's around. I thought it was before. It's, but er, I, it's around the same sequence. I, th- I thought of the film. it was like these shot before they arrive at the place. And, that might be it. And then see the horses, and then they see Manchester on fire. Yeah, because the, the Manchester on fire is after the horses, right? Yes, that's what I thought. That's my memory, anyway. But I do. Hey, look! Don't don't write this in stone, dear listener. If, you, if you're shouting at your podcast catcher right movies now, movies are ephemeral. Sometimes your brain thinks one part happens after another. You know, that's just what we're talking about. Fabulous. <laughs> that's the fun thing about rewatching them, right? Did you have to deal with that on your uh, test? I did not. That's good. Shazette, well, neither Shazette nor Fabula came up. What's the Fabula? We've talked about the Fabula. The Why fabu- do I know this word? So Shazette is the fabula. actual uh, the actual events in order. The 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 sort of this shot and this shot and mm-hmm. this shot of the story of a movie, mm-hmm. and then the Fabula is the mental 
mental image that you construct of there this is the story, which might, again, reverse some orders. So, for instance, yeah. uh, the first Iron Man movie begins with kind of um, uh, 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 an immediate res of the IED going off. Yeah. But you immediately go backward to Las Vegas. Yeah. Right, but you remember the movie. It's like, yeah, we, we meet Tony Stark. He sucks. We find out how bad he sucks. He finally goes on this junket to Afghanistan and gets bombed. We don't... The fabula is that that happens after that, and so we all... We kind of forget about the immediate ray opening. We, we kind of automatically move that moment ahead. Right? Gotcha, gotcha. Despite that it's, it's Shazette. Um, yeah. Or when you talk about Jennifer's body, you may completely omit that it bookends with the asylum unless you're really sure, mm-hmm. you know, which is a major factor in the effectiveness of that narration. But right. You uh, could go see Jennifer's body for free at rodeo cinema, by the way, uh, on October 27th. I think this episode will drop before that. Uh, so if you want to go support rodeo cinema, there's a free screening of Jennifer's body hosted by our friend Kirsten. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's a Thursday at eight o'clock, October 27th, rodeo cinema. There you go. A little free marketing for our friends over at uh, uh, Oklahoma City's only nonprofit theater. Nice. It's at the Stockyard location, in case you're wondering. Um, good movie, Jennifer's Body. We've talked about it on the show before. Uh, yeah. Has some things to say about sex and gender and misogyny. This film, much like Alex Garland's film Men, thinks it does have something to say about those things. I don't really think it's got anything to say about those things, unfortunately. I think it really wants to be like, you can't trust the army because you can't trust a bunch of men with guns, which, duh, obviously. Uh, if Lord of the Flies has taught us anything, you can't trust anybody who has grouped together and <laughs> and isolated mm, and formed yeah. some sort of governmental organization of hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's all these sort of, you know, ways in which these end of the world movies do this kind of stuff, right? Sure. Where if somebody puts together, the, the, they're going to be the guy with the biggest stick. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's, I you know, obviously the need for order is, is I think, comforting. If there's a hierarchy, there's an order, we can at least have some sort of structure to the day. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's just whoever winds up with the biggest stick is usually also the biggest jerk. And yeah. if, if film is taught us anything, that's how it happens. And I think this film does kind of interestingly juxtapose, you know, you, we talked about Christopher Eccles and yeah, as you said, Eccleson. Uh, and as you said, Arthur, he is, he seems like he might be trustworthy until he's absolutely clearly not. Right. Yeah. Uh, he, but it does keep you on your toes for a little bit about what his deal is. But I love that the film kind of like juxtaposes him against this sergeant character who, of course, is a Scotsman is more honorable than uh, these English uh, turkeys. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the Scottish sergeant is not about what's going on at this manor. Mm-hmm. And is overruled by his lieutenant uh, or whatever Eccleson's Major, rank is. I believe, yeah. yeah. But uh, it, is, it is interesting that we we do get the idea of like the non commissioned officer who sees reason and and knows how to be a good and honorable person. That's that's a kind of a stock character. Yeah, I feel like that checks out, right? Um, I, I think though. See, I, I I worry about essentialism a little bit here because I think the film is interesting in the way that it goes against gendered stereotypes. That the tough, hardened, battle-worn character is Selena. Is Selena, yeah, and that the sensitive, yeah, you know, thoughtful, collaborative character is Jim. Jim sure, and you know what ends up happening is that Jim has to learn how sometimes you got to crack some heads. Jim does have to learn how to be a hard ass. That's true. You know, and, and Selena does learn uh, that we've you got to have a team. That was longer than a heartbeat. What a moment. That was, man, it's a good moment. And so I, I think it, it sort of goes against the grain of essentializing any of that gender role kind of stuff. And, I, and, I, I, and I like that. I think that, it. no, I think that aspect of the film is, is good and you're right to bring it up because it does, we, we should give the screenplay credit where it deserves credit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because, you know, Garland do, does do good work here. I, I just, I don't know, it feels too much like, a, especially for two guys who like distance themselves from the zombie genre and the marketing of this film they're like no it's a post-apocalypse movie it's just a horror movie like that's a riff on day of the dead dog you can Absolutely. you can say whatever you want right. that's that's what the movie the day of the dead is about right is, is well the, the shopping scene for crying out loud it's them in the mall yeah, I mean, yeah exactly they, they, they know the what dead. they're doing yeah. yeah fucking a right that's nonsense i agree they don't distance yourself from the genre you're part of the lineage but that is that is day of the dead right is is you know a military without a civilian uh, mm-hmm. oversight committee or a, overseeing body yeah mm-hmm. left to its own devices you've just got a bunch of dudes with weapons and that's might makes right and that's never good for anybody no yeah. no and that's the, but that's you know explored like kind of thoughtfully and over the course of almost two hours in, in day of the dead and here we get you know 20 25 minutes yeah and i just don't know that we have enough time to do what they want to do 
that you know they want to show us this 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 order of might makes right and how that gets sort of inherent like dick swagger like translates to misogyny translates to sexual violence mm-hmm. right and i just don't know if there's any there there outside of like just cold misanthropy of like these guys are bad because of course they're bad right well i guess it could go back to my syllabus a little bit because i i think the movie is about not just that it's about that thing amongst a group of things that break down uh, and the ways in which those various breakdowns uh, will sort of result in these sort of Lord of the Flies kind of behaviors. And so if you lose the role of government, you lose the role of healthcare systems, you lose the role of just uh, standard utilities, you know, the water coming in and it hasn't rained in 10 days in bloody England, right? Like that's very hilarious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's the ways in which all of those pieces of various breakdown um, just sort of show the sort of total uh, ephemerality of our structures. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot about France Kranz in uh, <laughs> Cabin in the Woods. Mm. And, you know, the problem with society is, no, it's not crumbling apart. It's binding. We're filling in concrete in all these places. And what we really need to do is start all over and do something else. Because any part of this, if it goes a little wonky, you know, medical... It falls apart. It falls apart. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll be experimenting on monkeys that are going to have crazy rage viruses. Or um, we're going to find church is not a place which we provide real-life solutions, but just a place to go and die. We're going to find situations where everything that you rely upon, you don't know how to gather water because you've only seen on television how to put together a condensation trap. You know, the the, the military that you, you, you trust to use uh, violence in order to protect others might use that violence for their own ends and means to protect themselves. Those are all various institutions that can collapse at any given point. Yeah, and, you're, you're getting into, I, I was going to bring this up later, but sort of this is perfect for it. I was listening to the Magnificast, which is, oh yeah, let me some yeah I know you like it. Uh, for our listeners who might not know, it's a podcast that's uh, sort of about the intersection between uh, Christian theology and, and leftist politics. It's a really good show. They were talking uh, recently about a book they had read uh, called The Imperial Mode of Living. Uh, the subtitle on that is uh, Everyday Life and the Ecological Crisis of Capitalism. It's a book by Ulrich Brand and Marcus Weissen. Um, again, that's the imperial mode of living, but they were talking about just sort of like the, the hegemony of culture and like, or the hegemony of culture rather, and, and how it, you're just not supposed to think about it. Car mm-hmm. and like cars are just clearly bad. Cars are not good. And you're not supposed to think about how much we rely on them. Things like that. You're not right. supposed to think about like the military exists to protect the status quo, which is resource extraction for the global north. And the global South is just expected to roll over and, and uh, be, be a part of that resource extraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this film's like 28 Days Later, like all of these sort of post-apocalyptic, right? Not, and I don't mean like Mad Max post-apocalypse, but like the children of men apocalypse. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. The thing is crumbling around you. These are all stories about how the global order is unsustainable. And it's it's a, it's frustrating that we've got hundreds of hours of films about the order under which these films were made being no good and yet we keep doing it, it yeah. is but you're right i mean that's it's the it's the it's the uh, franz kranz and uh cabin of the woods thing but uh but to your point i i think the reason why that is short shrift compared to what we see in day of the dead mm-hmm. is because it wants to say all the things yeah and and so because it has a broader thesis you know if the film has a thesis at all mm-hmm. uh, so I, I i have a tendency to forgive that you know, I think that that's fair. You know, that that's uh, anyway, that's just kind of where I find myself landing. I get that. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a fair defense of like what it's doing there as far as it's just it's got a lot on its mind and it wants to get to everything. And some things might get short shrift, as you say. So a little break for the heavy before we go back into heavy things, I'm sure. We want to talk about how bad Jim is at surviving apocalypses for a second. Uh, just one of the things I was thinking... A couple as, of things he's bad at. Uh, and that surviving is is he's not good at it. No. The 15-year-old and I, as we were watching this movie, he's all yelling hello, and my 15-year-old does not know any of the rules that these are zombies that are attracted to sound or smell or anything like that, but he just assumes all the things. Yeah. And he's like, you don't do that. You, you, you don't... He should be dead already. He sets off the car alarm. He should be dead already. And, uh, you know, walking in the church and saying hello. is like, he's just lucky. Everywhere, you know, he runs into random Selena and Mark. He's like, this... Every every ten seconds, he's like he's lighting candles inside his house. This guy's an absolute idiot. There's no reason why he should be alive. Well, he at wants all. to go into the gas station and, and snoop around. And don't yes, go into a building you don't need to go into. Right. 
Don't do that. Curiosity. Yeah. Yep. Get you every time. Yeah. That's one of the rules of a horror movie. Uh, you gotta you gotta hold on to your curiosity and just let some shit go. Yeah, he's got him on some plot armor, it seems. Uh, well, yeah. I mean Yeah, but it's pretty forgivable. I mean, he doesn't know where he's at. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know zombies have taken over until he gets to the church. You can't really fault him for trying to figure out what's Up going on in the that world. Point, yeah, no, no, I yeah, mean that's that's the dumb luck part of it. And yeah. then there's so there's like dumb luck, and then there's just you're being stupid and getting away. Yeah, with yeah, it, yeah. You know? Which is later. Yeah. Which is the gas station, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do like Jim as a protagonist, though. I think he's. Oh, he's I fun. love him. Yeah, I think he's, he's great. I, maybe it's because we all love Cillian Mur- Killian Murphy, but uh, he's so good. But he's a good. Uh, he's a good cipher. He's a good stand-in. As yeah, we he's good every man. Film. Yeah. Well, as you said, like there's, you know, there's something relatable about. Uh, you know him, him being the softy. I think that is just works really well uh, of him and Selena. Him being the, the much more like willing to trust the situations that they're in, mm-hmm. uh, willing to trust that things will work out. Yeah, I just think there's interesting stuff. There. His first evaluation of uh, of Frank and Hannah's there. They're good people. Yeah. So we obviously should help them because yeah, that's what you do for good people. Yeah. And or, Selena's like, wait, no, no, they're going to slow us down. What can I use you for? Is yeah. is the yeah. better question, right? Yeah. What is better than survival? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of things, it turns out. It's just, you know, that that's what these survival movies are about, right? Is looking for things beyond survival that are, right. are worth holding on to. And that is the humanizing aspect of the movie that sort of gets it beyond. It's just pure terror in, at moments, right? And the way in which uh, Boyle's able to ratchet up that horror uh, throughout. Uh, so let's talk about the endings a little bit, shall we? Um, and so there, there are two filmed endings to this movie. Uh, in one filmed ending, uh, that is uh, the theatrical release, uh, they hit the gate as they're escaping. I do love how Hannah kills uh, Major West. That pleases me very, very much. Yeah. Um, and again, again, she gets the agency there, even though she's stoned out of her mind, um, which is also an interesting plot beat. Um, there, but they rush Jim to the hospital, and uh, we have the twenty-eight days later cue, and he wakes up. And Pretty good beat. Pretty good to do the twenty-eight days yeah. later a second time. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It's cheeky. It, it is cheeky, but it works. Yeah, and so I'm kind of there for it. And so we're looking at roughly a two month after the apocalypse thing, and they've made out of all the curtains and blankets they can find an enormous hello um, banner. They lay. I mean, like. On, I don't know. I was thinking about the giant man signal sign of Northumbria. Yeah, you know, you know it's this the giant lost or help thing you do with rocks on every island. Movie yeah, right, or... right. And it's just exactly that. But instead of help, it's hello, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. And so that's the ending that we all got in theaters. Now, if you stay tuned through the credits in most of the digital release versions of it, you'll have a what if everything happens just the same as it does. Jim just dies in the hospital. Ah, okay, at the very beginning. At, no, at the end, after at, at, the gunshot wound. After the gunshot wound, uh, okay. after Wes shoots him. Yeah. He, uh, they get him, the, they rush from the hospital. The, the same shots are being used, you know, her with her teeth trying to fill up the uh, syringe full yeah. of mm-hmm. uh, morphine or whatever. She's trying to she fill up. She qualified as a recover. chemist. Yeah, yeah, apparently. And uh, so she's got all that, you know, trying to save him, beating on his chest, but he just stays dead. Okay. And um, it's just, well, Hannah goes, what do we do now? And she just says, we move. And the last shot is them two walking down a hallway carrying machine guns and red dresses <laughs> that's a, that is a much very much a what if ending sure yeah and see it, why it's not the ending they went with i mean it's, it's bleaker because of zombie movies you yeah know, zombie sure. movies are famous for their bleak endings um what do we but it sets up a fascinating action sequel it does oh man yeah these two bad ladies, ladies. in the red dress well and it's th- just them wrecking zombies for two hours the ending of 28 weeks later sets up the more uh dire ending too right they uh, they run through the tunnel under uh, oh, right. under the, the zombies channel. Zombies are in Paris. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Zombies, zombies in France. Yeah, the zombie, les, les zombies. <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, I like the sequel. It's the the sequence of the uh, the mother who is a. Do you do you remember the sequence? I I think I saw it very late at night. Interesting. And it's been a awake. long time since I've yeah. seen it. Uh, it, it, it. I know it ends with them making it to Ferris. And... Yeah, there's the, the new plot quirk of this one is that some people are immune to the rage virus, right. but they're and carriers And there's for a kiss, it. and that, that the kiss exchange... Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the saliva transfers the virus, and she's strapped to the table, and her, her husband murders her. Yeah, horrifying. Mm. Just one mm-hmm. of the most horrifying sequences in any movie for me. I... Just the whole thing of their dad getting infected and yeah. chasing them all over London, like yeah. Uh, but uh, Rose Byrne and Jeremy Renner, 
two uh, before they were super famous performances mm. in 28 Weeks Later. Yeah. They're both great in that. Yeah. Uh, a couple of really good uh, castings in 28 Weeks Later, too, actually. Both of these movies, just spectacular casts, really well acted, and uh, really well shot action and, and horror, truly. Um, is there anything we want to say about this first film, uh, other than the, the, I can't remember. I know there's a storyboarded ending that was on the DVD, but I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, I don't know anything. I don't know anything about yeah, it. Yeah, and I didn't look it up. I can't remember. I know it's out there. Yeah, I, I, I'm aware that it exists, but I can't, I, I don't, I never have owned it on DVD. So. Uh, is there, do we make anything of the fact that the, uh, the British zombie plague was started by a bunch of bumbling animal rights activists? Sounds about right. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. <laughs> well, it seems to me that it is, it's about self-interest. It's about seeing what you want and not listening, mm-hmm. right? Like that That's the fundamental thing is that you might say, okay, we've done this thing. Here we are. And now here's a guy saying, listen, I get why you're here. You can't do it this time because mm-hmm. everyone, you know, they're infected. There's an incredibly yeah. contagious disease. And they're just, they're not having it. Yeah. You know, and I mean, yeah, maybe you expect this guy to lie to you. Maybe if you're, you know, in that you know level of... uh well, and then you've Radical just politics. seen a, you've just seen a chimp flayed open in front of you. Yeah, uh, that's that's pretty traumatic. Well, there's a head laying on one of the other tables all by itself. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, there's a chimp head. So, I mean, I guess maybe, but it's just a lot of like politically loaded stuff up top with both them and then like the actual like real life, the real life violence, viol- and the riots. real life riots and stuff, mm-hmm. which is a you know a twenty early two uh, thousands like zombie movie trope, right? Because right. twenty eight day or the Dawn of the Dead remake mm-hmm. also does that. I think there's another one that does it that I'm forgetting. Uh, but the, those, these are the big two uh, yeah. that I think of right away. It's, I don't know. I don't know what the ethics of that are. I, they're questionable for sure. You know, it's interesting one thing. But they're interesting. A note about this film and its sort of engagement with politics. It's very much a post 9-11 film, although it was entirely shot before 9-11. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, there are some iconic images like that wall of missing persons placards, yeah. which looks exactly like walls, exactly oh, yeah. like that, yeah. you know, yeah, in yeah. New York City after the events of 9-11. But that was just, that's what, that's just what people would have done. That's probably based on stuff people did in the Blitz, I assume, right? Yeah, I assume, I, yeah. Well, I'd read something, too, that this was shot, I think, in sequence. Uh, but, uh, I was seeing something I saw that, that too, yeah. They oh, were except shooting for, like, the, pickups uh, and stuff. The birthday sequence uh, of them celebrating Jim's birthday in the mm-hmm. home video. They shot that on 9-11. Oh, okay. Oh, on the day. Yeah. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. But, yeah, I'd, I'd seen that, too, that it was mostly in sequence, which, you mm-hmm. know, always fun when you hear that. That's pretty rare. It's wild. But, yeah, it's... it's Sort of, int- it's it definitely became a post nine eleven movie because of those the that iconography for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is sort of interesting that it just. Is I mean, it lucky. Just, yeah, there's it's some, the immediacy. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> just had a finger on the balls. There it is, man. There. It is. I mean, there's some movies that have come out like pre and post pandemic that like do like either predict yeah. like were made prior to the pandemic and have come out since just, and yeah. like kind of predict aspects of it very interestingly. I mean this this movie's obviously missing the pandemic uh scene where people don't believe the zombies are real and openly expose themselves to zombies to be eaten to show that they won't turn into zombies. So it's missing that piece. It is missing that beat. Um yeah. tw- 28 took, years later. Yeah. 28 years. We'll do it. We're going to make it happen. <sighs> Mercy. I'll call Danny. Well, is it time for us to render a verdict? I think it probably is. So what do we say about 28 Days Later, Shelf or Trash? I go to you first, Arthur. What say you? Uh, I would put it on the shelf. I, I think uh, uh, in the zombie canon, it's it's vastly uh, important to that genre. And I think that alone earns it a place on the shelf. And I, I think it's just a, it's a good horror movie, mm-hmm. too. So it's an easy shelf for me, I think. Okay, what do you say, Dalton? Yeah, I'm right there with Arthur, and I say, you know, why not pick up the sequel while you're at it? Get them both on the shelf. They uh, probably are bound together yeah, in a I'm DVD sure collection. They're, yeah. You 100% can pick them up together, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, probably not going to get 4Ks of both of them together, but yeah, you can find why a combo. Why would you want that, though? Yeah, no yeah you don't 4K. want 4K of this prosumer movie. No. no you want this in 1080p at best. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> right? you probably want it in 720, or even better on a VHS. <laughs> <laughs> really, really fuck and with a, your brain. And a small, and a small yeah. little t- TV, copied VHS yeah. from at least an original yeah, yeah. into a TV with a built-in VCR. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's what you want. Uh, yeah, this movie's very good. As Arthur said, it is is pretty um, important in the zombie genre. Uh, I just, yeah, it's. I, I stand by what I said. It's one of the best zombie movies made by somebody not called George Romero. Mm-hmm. Dustin, what about you? Shelfable. It, it is one of the scariest movies ever. 
Yeah. So shelf it. Yeah. It's one I mean, absolutely. For me, I it is it is one of the movies that scared me more than any movie I've seen. You know, I mean I, it is in a top three of scary movies as far as like their continued uh hold on my imagination. So yeah, definitely a shelfer for me. Scares the bejabbers out of me. So there you go. Uh, we've already announced next week's film, um, but we'll get to that in a minute. Because Dalton needs to say social media things. I do need to say social media things. Uh, if you have thoughts about 28 Days Later, you can find us uh, on Twitter. Uh, it's at Good Trash Media. You can also email us your long-form feedback if you've got a lot to say about 28 Days Later or what we had to say about it. I hope so. Yeah, let us know. It's GoodTrashGenreCast at gmail.com. It's the name of the show you're listening to at gmail.com. Uh we're on Spotify now, so if you Woo-hoo! use yeah, if you use that, uh, follow us and give us a rating there. Um, you know, even if you uh, don't, even if you listen to us on Apple, do it on Spotify too. Why not boost our numbers? <laughs> just set it on play. Yeah, just just, get... just keep it playing on both services. Yeah, just plug it in. Yeah. <laughs> So your battery doesn't die. Uh, what else? <laughs> oh, yeah. If you want to help us keep the lights on, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash GTM. Uh, that's where uh, you can find out what's in it for you as far as supporting us goes. We don't we don't need your money. You know, no big deal if you if you uh, don't want to do it. Uh, but if you, you know, you feel so moved, patreon.com forward slash GTM. Uh, lots of information about what you can get out of giving us some money. All kinds of cool stuff. Picking a movie for us to talk about on the show. Getting a movie sent to you by Arthur access to our back catalog of bonus content uh hours and hours of it uh most of it probably nonsense but some of it probably pretty enjoyable uh that's patreon.com forward slash gtm now next week as has already been announced uh we'll be talking about the babadook isn't that right arthur yes well there you go i thought he had more to say about jennifer kent's directorial debut but i guess he'll save his 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 powerful stunning intellect for next week so dustin You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time.